check. Are the kids supposed to stay here? No, they're not. Okay, kids, if you want to go to Children's Church, if I'm reading this right, anyway, I hope I am. It says Children's Church. Okay. Matt's got him. He can handle it. There we go. All right, the rest of you that had to stay, sorry. Uh, turn to Matthew 14, 28 to 36, if you would please. Matthew 14, we'll be looking at 28 uh, through 36 today. Now this passage comes on the heels of Jesus Christ walking on the water, and last week we decided that uh, we needed to understand that our God walks on water, and we don't have any problem that's a challenge for him. And then today we're going to be talking about uh, some more water and things happening there. But I want to begin this way. Uh, in life, sometimes a person becomes a Christian, right? And he or she is now entering into a life of uh, a calling of God to walk with Jesus by faith. And by faith, we mean walk by trust or walk by belief. In other words, we said, Jesus, we believe you can save us from our sins, but can you handle the other things in life that I need to deal with? And we need to trust him for that as well. So this young Christian decides, I'm supposed to be ministering for Jesus, so he or she begins on a mission, whatever mission that might be, uh, and the mission came from Jesus, they believe Jesus told them to do it, and then they enthusiastically step out on their mission in faith, but as is often the case in our ministry for Jesus Christ, as he or she goes on that mission, all of a sudden a bad situation arises, or trouble comes along in some way, and it can be frightening, it can be threatening, the circumstance that appears. And the unexpected trouble, the unexpected problems can actually paralyze the disciple and the, mission, the missionary. And he or she begins to doubt God. Why would you bring me here? What's going on? I thought this would be better than this. Why am I having these troubles? And so they doubt, and the doubt gets worse, and things get worse. So to speak, he or she is sinking now in the trouble. They're going down, and they need help. And they cry out for God to help them, and they cry out for God to rescue them. And Jesus immediately reaches out and grabs their hand. And with his power, he rescues, let's call it, the floundering disciple of his. Now, there are some questions that come to, to bear here. And the question is, first of all, what happened in the first place? The second question is, what is the disciple going to do with this experience? So what happened? Why did my ministry go the way I wanted it to? Why didn't my mission turn out the way that I thought it should? Because Jesus was with me. And what should I learn from this? What would be the answers to these two questions if the disciple we are talking about is you? If the missionary we're talking about is you? All of us are to be ministers of the gospel. All of us are to be missionaries that carrying the word of God. And you go out and you try to do the right thing, maybe at work or somewhere else, and people come against you, they make fun of you, they cause trouble for you, and now you're wondering, well, where is God in this situation? Why isn't he helping me? You see, it doesn't matter whether you're a missionary or a pastor or a regular soldier in, in the service of Jesus Christ as a person that ministers for him every day, wherever you're at. 
you may have run into that particular situation uh, in your ministry. It happened all the time in church history. How they responded to it makes all the difference in their ministries. And if you aren't prepared, you can get into real trouble and have real problems with your faith. So I wanted to tell you about a story that was given to us in some national magazine. Don't know where this is an unknown source. I can't give you all the particulars. But the story was told in this national magazine where there was some, in the Northwest, some fires that were getting out of control and they were really raging. And this national magazine wanted this person to go out, a photographer, and take pictures of this fire so they could print those pictures. And they said, we will have a plane waiting for you at the airport near where these fires are. It's a small, small town airport, but there'll be a plane there for you. So this man shows up with all of his equipment and it's about an hour before sundown. And sure enough, sitting out on the tarmac is this little Cessna 172. And he says, there's my plane. So he goes over uh, to get in the plane. He's got all his equipment with him and he opens the door of the plane. It's just him and the pilot. And he starts throwing his stuff in the back and he gets in and he looks at the pilot and says, let's go. He said, well, where are we going? And uh, the pilot seemed a little bit nervous. He said, we're going to go and we're going to look at the fire. And he said, okay. So he gets the airplane headed down the runway and he takes off and he's uh, flying a little bit. He's a little bit erratic in his flying. You know, he doesn't want to fly over the thermals of this heat. And, and the guy says, now I want you to go fly over this fire. I want you to make some low level passes. And the guy says, why are we doing that? He says, because I'm a photographer and I got to take pictures. That's my job. And the pilot says, you mean you're not the flight instructor? <laughs> that's what we call poorly placed trust and we need to think about that uh, when we're working for Jesus Christ well Jesus Christ sent the sent the men across the lake ahead of him they got caught in a storm the waves are raging, the boat is tossing, they're a little bit concerned anyway, and they look up and they see what they think is a ghost walking towards them on the water, and how does that happen? And so uh, Jesus Christ comes, and they want to know, is it really you? And he said, I, I am, it is me. And so they have now uh, the courage of understanding it's Jesus coming to them on the water in the fourth, or third watch of the night, excuse me, it's dark out and the winds and the waves are rough. And so while Jesus is still coming, we pick it up in verse 28. Peter said to the Lord, so uh, the wind is howling, the waves are rolling, and it's apparently close enough that Peter can, you know, you've been in a situation like that, you have to yell pretty loud sometimes, get somebody to hear you in that situation. But it just says, Peter said to him, Lord, and, the, and my New American says, if it is you, that's a conditional clause that can be translated since it is you or since we've established it is you. Peter said, since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you have little faith. You have little faith. Look at the next three words. Why, or four words. <laughs> Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? See, doubt is on the same level of fear, and they both murder faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, 
saying, you are certainly God's son. Now I want you to understand that Matthew has a point. And so he tells us the next bit of the story. Matthew is the only one that tells us about the water walking of Peter. None of the other gospel writers do. They talk about Jesus walking on the water, but they left that out. Why did Matthew do this? And here it is, verse 34. When they crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding district, and they brought him all who were sick. And they implored him that, he might just, that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were healed. They were cured of whatever they had. I'm going to break this down uh, together and let's look at what's really going on here and see what the particulars are that can have some meaning to us. In verse 28, what we learn is that because it was Jesus that had been established, Peter asked him to command that he walk on the water over to him. And by the way, when you go on a mission trip, it's always a good idea to make sure Jesus is sending you on the mission trip, that it's his idea, that he's commanding you to go, and then you go. And Peter wanted to know, command me, and if you want me to come, I will come out there on the water with you. We've said that in the Greek text, it is a first-class conditional clause, so it can be translated as since it was Jesus, or because it was Jesus, he's willing to go out on the water. So he said to him, Lord, command me that I come to you. I'd like you to put yourself in the boat. It's dark. We've just been scared to death. Now we know it's Jesus. We're not so scared. And now one of your, uh, one of your buddies wants to walk on the water just like Jesus. What are you thinking? You want to go too? You want to step out of the boat? What do you want to do? Peter sees an opportunity to experience a miracle firsthanded by doing what the Lord did. Peter wanted to do what the Lord did. Interesting, when they killed Peter, he said, I don't want to do exactly what the Lord did. Hang me upside down on the cross. I don't want to die in the same way my Lord did. Well, he likes to be doing things that Jesus does, and he's going to end his life that way. And we assume Peter knows that this is going to take obedience. It's a command, and when somebody gives a command, you have a choice. Am I going to obey or am I going to disobey? What am I going to do with Jesus here? And Peter knows it's going to take obedience. So that part's already, already assumed by him. And we also assume that Peter knows it's going to take faith. I'm going to say he spent his life on the lake. He's a fisherman. I don't believe he's ever walked on water ever before in his whole life. Uh, he's there doing something that he's never done before. And it's going to take faith on his part. By the way, remember that everything with Jesus takes faith. Everything takes faith. There's nothing we can do without faith that's going to be successful or turn out the way God wants it to. It is very clear that Peter has in his mind walking on the water as well as Jesus by obedience and by faith. And that's the way everybody starts their mission. They're all gung-ho and they're ready to do this and they want to be doing it by obedience to God because God called me and I want to do a good job. I'm going to do it by faith. I read something not long ago about uh, my own seminary that I went to, Dallas Theological Seminary, and they said uh, a certain majority of the students don't last for more than five years in ministry. Now think about that. They just spent four years getting a Master of Theology degree, and they last five years in the ministry. What happened to them? Where'd they go? I can assure you it had something to do with the calling of God and uh, whether or not they really had faith or they doubted. Well, I'm pretty sure it would not have dawned on me if I was in the boat to ask Jesus if I could join you. I might be thinking, hurry up and get in the boat with us. 
I wouldn't have said that. Um, maybe I would secretly wish uh, that I could do it, but I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go out in, in the water. Uh, no more than I would have asked the three Hebrew children if I could join them in the fiery furnace. <laughs> hey, that looks like fun. Can I come in too? I don't think I'd have said that. And I'm glad that he wanted to do this because it's going to prove to be a treasure trove of information that you and I need in our walk with God and how we, how we handle that. There's going to be some lessons in this, in this for us, uh, those who are considered disciples of Jesus Christ, which is all of us in this room. Well, in verse 29 to 31, at the command of Jesus, so at Jesus' command, we start well, but we often falter in our assignment. We think we know what Jesus wants us to do, and we start well, and then something happens, and we start to falter in our assignment that Jesus gave us. Now we feel guilty, and we feel like we, we failed him. In verse 29, notice that Jesus did not hesitate to answer his question. But he issues the command for Peter, get out of the boat and come over here and walk towards me. Go ahead and come to me. That was the command. And we keep in mind that Jesus is near in distance in relation to Peter, and the boat is full of the other disciples. I, wanna, I want you to emphasize here in the text, he is not absent. Jesus is right there with Peter. Peter can see him. He knows it's Jesus Christ. We've established that. So the thing he has going for him that we don't have going for us is this. I can see Jesus, Peter said. I know it's him. Lord, command me to come out and I'll walk on this water with you. And he says, go ahead, come out. So he gets on the water and he starts to walk on water. He climbs out of that boat. Now, what was that like? Because it's being tossed by the waves, but he gets out. How far did his feet go in? It doesn't say. Did it always stay on top? Did he have to fight the waves? It doesn't say. It just says he got out and he started to walk. He's close to Jesus. You and I go on mission, and normally we can't see Jesus standing right there bidding us to come. We don't see with our physical eyes that he is near us, that he's right there. The Bible says he is, but do you see him? Do you recognize that he's there? Do you recognize that the one who sent you on the mission is still with you? Or do you do what the rest of us do and you see the circumstance and you start focusing on things like the physical things and the circumstantial things and you think, you know what? I uh, wonder where Jesus is. And things bad start to happen. You think, well, I really, where, where is he? Is he on vacation? Is he asleep? Did he send me on this and he's not coming? And all the other crazy stuff we, we, see, uh, we say for what we see. My point is this. With Jesus right there, what could go wrong? With Jesus right there, where Peter's concerned, what could possibly go wrong? The master is within arm's reach at this point. So uh, something did go wrong. And I want you to know that if that happens on mission, it's never because something happened to Jesus. It's always because something happened to us. So with no hesitation, Peter is up and over the side of the boat in the storm and he begins to walk on water towards Jesus. He's doing it. He's doing it. Sometimes the mission starts really well, and things go really well, and you're moving ahead, and then something happens that causes you to doubt everything. And Peter is doing it right now. Everything is going well as he begins his mission, but along the way, along the way, in the middle of the mission, 
Peter gets his focus on an issue. Peter takes his focus off of Jesus Christ and he starts uh, noticing, (laughs) I'm walking on water. It's rough. The wind is really blowing. I wonder if I can continue. I wonder what's going to happen. It's rougher out here than I possibly thought. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say he thought all those things, but uh, something happened in his heart and his mind because there's now a problem. There's an issue in the mission. Now his focus is lost and turns away from Jesus to the actual physical circumstance. The text says uh, he noticed the wind. It's howling. It's blowing these waves. This could be dangerous. And they have been battling huge winds and huge waves while they're rolling across the lake. It's not like he didn't know that. Peter takes into account the wind, which he never should have done. I'm sure he's looking at the waves, which he should not have done. And he thinks about the peril instead of the Lord. And then he gives way to fear. And I like to say fear kills faith. But today I want to say fear murders faith. Faith doesn't have a chance where doubt and fear live. Whenever a disciple is on mission and they take time to stop and focus on the physical things and the circumstantial things and maybe the attacks that they're getting from the people they're trying to help, maybe lead somebody to Christ. Whenever a disciple on mission stops to be afraid, trouble will be coming right behind. Immediately, Peter begins to sink into the depths. Now, I don't think that Peter took any time to put a life jacket on before he got out of the boat. As far as I can tell, there was no such thing as a life jacket in the boat. Nothing that he could have put on. And the very fact that if he had a life jacket and put it on would say, what about your faith? What's the life jacket for? Well, I want to make sure that if I do go down, I don't sink to the bottom of the lake. Now, you've got to wonder, did Peter take swimming lessons when he was a kid? Does this guy know how to swim? He lives on the lake. Uh, Could he he handle this? Or why is, he so, why is he so terrified? Was it the rate of speed at which he was sinking and going under? I mean, all of a sudden he's held up and all of a sudden he's going under? I don't know. But I would say that putting on a life vest is going to show that the faith is a little bit lacking before we began the mission. There is no life vest except Jesus. And sometimes people on mission wonder, well, what do I need for this ministry? What do I need to have in my possession before I can be successful at it? What should I take just in case things don't work? Well, the answer is nothing. Do you remember when Jesus sent his uh, disciples out and then he sent the 70 out and he told them what to take? Don't take an extra cloak. You you can take your staff. Don't take extra food. Don't take a new pair of extra sandals on the trip because God will provide. And that sounds like a way to prepare for mission. Well, he's going down fast enough that he needs to be grabbed quickly. And immediately, the text says, Jesus doesn't hesitate. Jesus didn't say, uh, you know, you get what you deserve here. Jesus immediately reaches out his hand, and he grabs Peter so he won't drown. He saves his life. This means that Peter made it all the way to Jesus in such close proximity that Jesus could just grab him, and that's where he loses his faith, right in front of Jesus. The very faith that got him that close. Now, the text doesn't say how far out he was. 
but he's close enough that Jesus can reach down and grab him. That's pretty close. Peter, why did you lose your faith when you're standing right in front of Jesus? I don't know, why do we lose our faith when Jesus is right there next to us, helping us, holding us? Why do we lose our faith in Jesus when he's right there? That's a good question. And what I want you to see here, what I'm emphasizing here is this is a passage about doubt and how we shouldn't have it. This is a passage about fear and why we shouldn't have it. And that's why Matthew tells you the account of what happened when he got to the shore. So you understand the difference. And I understand it. With Jesus right in front of him, he loses his faith. Fear murders faith every time. And the text says he doubted, did not take God at his word. So Jesus scolds him, and he deserved it. You of little faith. Ouch. They heard that before in Matthew 6, verse 30. He said it again to the whole group in Matthew 8, verse 26. He says it again to Peter right here. And then in a passage that records the greatest spiritual victory of Peter when he was with Jesus, when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He falls away and doesn't have the faith he's supposed to, and Jesus has to say it again. Oh, you of little faith. What is going on here? When we have Jesus in our presence, when Jesus is right there with us, even though we can't see him physically, he's there and we lose our courage. We lose our faith. It's like, well, I can't see him, so he's not here. He said, yes, he is. Oh, you of little faith. A phrase we have heard Jesus speak way too many times. And we have to wonder, if I look at my life, if I go back, how many instances could I find where the text would say of me, oh, you of little faith, why did you not believe? Who brought you from the boat to me? Why wouldn't I take care of you here? So then the penetrating question, Jesus said, why did you doubt? I wonder, does a, does a disciple of Christ have any good answers for that question? Especially when Jesus is right there. I couldn't think of one good answer for that. Except that I doubted. And that's what caused my demise. Jesus, by the way, is forgiving of our lack of faith. Do you know that? Jesus doesn't say, look, you doubted once, I'm done with you. Never. How quickly did Jesus rescue him in the peril that he caused himself? Immediately, immediately. Jesus is forgiving of our lack of faith. He knows what we're made of. He knows we, we do that. Not favorable of it. He's forgiving, but he's not favorable of it. And we find that out because he actually scolded Peter for his lack of faith. I want to share with you this account by R.O. Bletchman. And he's one of the most famous illustrators in the world. And in his recent book, uh, it's entitled Dear James, Letters to a Young Illustrator, he shares a series of letters that he wrote to a younger fellow illustrator. In one of the most poignant letters, Bletchem addresses the reality of failure. 
Preliminary drawings and sketches, are, he says, are often discouraging things. Pale shadows of one's bold intentions, seemingly nonsense. They're especially dispiriting for beginners. And that's why he's writing the letter to this young illustrator. Is that what I did, the novice might ask? Uh, what I have here is seemingly nonsense. Is that what I did? And I consider myself an artist, really? Speaking for myself, but also for other illustrators, he says, I'm sure, my trash basket is full of false starts and failed drawings. There should be a museum of failed art somewhere, and it would exhibit all the terrible art that we have come up with and ended up in our trash bins and garbage, lost and unknown to the public forever. Surprisingly, he goes on to say, the Bible contains a museum of failed discipleship. Over and over again, the Gospels record, and so does the Old Testament, false starts and spiritual failures of disciples. Thankfully, they also record Christ's willingness to encourage and challenge his flawed disciples. That's us. We tend to cover up our heroes' uh, faults, and we're even more likely to gloss our, over our colossal flops. Instead, the Gospel allows us to see the disciples' failures. Was it by mistake that Matthew included this story of the failure of the leader of the apostles, the, one of the greatest of the apostles, the leader of, of the men of God? No, it's not by mistake. Now, most of these stories came from the disciples themselves. We'd, we'd agree with that. This honestly provides encouragement to us when we feel like saying something like, is that what I did and I consider myself a Christian? Our security is in Christ, who continues to love us even when we stumble and fail. And I added this sentence to what R.O. was saying. The Bible displays the trash cans of our faith and also the masterpieces of our faith. Because you may feel like you failed in your ministries at places and times in the past. But you're fully capable of masterpieces. And many of you have done those through faith in Christ. Well, if this can happen to the leader of the disciples, it can happen to us, can't it? Of course. But that doesn't mean that we don't try to do better at being faithful. We do. Faith, the Bible says, is the victory that overcomes a sinful, fallen world. Let's get encouraged by that. Look at Hebrews 11 with me for just a minute. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. The author says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is a confident expectation just like hope. For by it men of old gained approval. And then he starts listing all the things that the people of old did to gain approval with God because of their faith. And then I want to look at 1 John. First, second, uh, Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. 1st John, chapter 5 and verse 4. Where it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Friends, what does, it get you, what, what does it take to get you to go back on your faith or to doubt? What do people have to do? How discouraging does it have to be? 
but you give up hope and you give up faith. Why don't we take Jesus and his word for it? Why don't we take his word for faith? What he said about it. How powerful Jesus is through the man or woman who exhibits faith in him and doesn't doubt. Don't let the circumstances of life derail your commitment to trust Jesus. Doubt means to waver or have a second thought on a matter. It's also used to describe trying to go to two different directions at the same time or serve two masters, two different masters at the same time. Well, guess who the master of doubt is? It's not Jesus. Then verse 32 to 33. When we recognize the true Jesus, we respond in worship. Any form of religion that doesn't want you to worship Jesus is not true religion. John 6, 21 tells us, it doesn't say here in Matthew, but it tells us that Jesus got into the boat and instantly, all of a sudden, they're at the shore. And the wind, the waves stopped. He didn't even have to say a word. It just all quit. And instantly, miraculously, the boat that's out, out there in the middle of the lake is at the shore. And Jesus is doing all kinds of miracles. Just open our eyes and look. Only Matthew tells us about the failed walk that Peter took. And this time the wind stops and Jesus never said a word. And it is all the perfect timing of God and his plan and his power. We talked last week, did Jesus know there was going to be a storm on the lake when he made the guys leave immediately from where all the people were? Of course he did. Did Jesus know later he'd be walking out to the boat with him? Yes. Did he know all this stuff? Yes, he did. Did he send them into that perilous situation? Yes. Why? We tend to learn better at those times than we do when everything's going great, when everything's just fine. We learn through adversity, and that's what makes us wise people. Fools don't learn from their mistakes. We do. And sometimes the best lessons come from there. I'm glad Peter dropped at the last moment because then we're not all trying to hold ourselves to a standard of perfection that maybe we can't reach but there may have been other disciples in the boat that would have made it doubt is the difference between success and failure and they worshiped jesus they didn't just honor him they worshiped him and when we understand who jesus really is it always draws us to worship him do you understand who he really is our god walks on water the disciples can too, by faith. Then, for some strange reason, we're on the uh, other shore. In verses 35 and 36, the people of Gennesaret gathered their sick, and they were completely healed. Jesus has been doing this. doesn't seem like that's anything out of the ordinary, but it's here for a reason. These folks remind us of another aspect of recognizing who Jesus is. He is the one who heals all of our diseases, the greatest of our diseases is our sin that causes us to burn in the fires of hell for eternity if we fail to put our faith in Jesus Christ. He can save us from that punishment. Isn't it strange that we, that we really believe Jesus can save us from the fires of hell for eternity and give us a place in heaven? We have trouble believing that he's going to help us with a car that won't start and I need it to go. They recognized him, these people did, on the shore... Have you recognized Jesus as who he, who he really is, as the Savior? He is humankind's only hope. That's what the Bible teaches. In verse 36, they're like that woman in Matthew 9 that we read about 
who was having the hemorrhage of blood and it wouldn't stop and it wouldn't stop and she'd been suffering by the hands of physicians who didn't know how to help her in her day. And she thought, if I could just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And she did. She, in the crowd, she snuck up and touched his robe. And he said, who touched me? <laughs> She's on her knees now. I did. And he said, go in faith. Your sins are forgiven. And she was healed. And this is what these people were doing. They believed all that it took was to, by faith, touch his cloak, and they would receive healing. And they did. I don't know what kind of diseases were there, but I bet some were more important than a guy falling in the middle of the lake and somebody having to pull him out. Could have been some cancers. Could have been all kinds of things. People that didn't have legs or arms, and Jesus healed them all. All Peter had to do was have faith in Jesus, and he could walk on water. And he didn't fully succeed. This is self-inflicted spiritual wounding. What is he learning? The disciples are on the beach now, and they're watching people come from all over the place, touching Jesus, and they're being healed. And I'm sure Peter is thinking, like he did a lot of times, like uh, when the cock crows three times, you know, you're going to deny me. And he's thinking here, why did I doubt? Why did I doubt? You know what he's seen in front of him? Possibly hundreds of people that are getting healed from all kinds of stuff, and they're not doubting. They're just doing it by faith. Why did I doubt? There's no good reason for that. And it emphasizes that they were completely healed. The word used in the text, they were completely healed. Nothing was left unhealed. Faith in Jesus is all we need. And so why did Matthew put this here? Do you see it? Jesus said in verse 31, why did you doubt? Then he took us to the shore, and we find a multitude of people who had no doubt. They had faith. Look what happened to the one who doubted, and look what happens to those who have faith. So, in the margin of my Bible, I wrote by verse 31, this is doubt. And I wrote by verse 34, this is faith. You see the contrast? See the difference? It's meant for us to be seen. Here's what we can apply out of this text. Number one, let's give ourselves credit for the fact that faith can grow. We have to learn how to have faith. And sometimes we're going to fail along the ways. Jesus is going to forgive us. He's going to help us. He's going to move us forward. But learning to live by faith may include some failures on our part. But Jesus will rescue us and set us back on our feet again to move forward. Did you hear that? There may be some failures on your journey with Jesus, but Jesus will set you on your feet again. He may give you lessons of faith through other people, but he'll give you lessons personally and set you on your feet again to move forward. He knows we're weak. He knows we have problems. And still he works with us. He loves us. And then to be reminded that we cannot, I put it this way, you cannot serve two masters. Doubt will destroy you, but your faith will deliver you. There's a world of difference. And I just want to ask, have you recognized who Jesus is? Like the people on the shore? The one that could heal you? Jesus is really not about healing us physically as much as he is about healing us spiritually. And I don't know who on that uh, beach believed in him as Savior. I don't know. It doesn't say. But I'm sure many came to believe. 
because they saw him do something physical, healing. Can you believe him without seeing him? Can you trust him when you can't tell that he's there? Reminds us of a guy in the Bible whom we all call Doubting Thomas. Unless I see the Lord Jesus, unless I stick my hands in the scar, his, my finger in the scars of his hand and in his side, I won't believe. So the next time he sees uh, the disciples, Thomas is there, and he said, uh, Thomas, come over here. Check this out. And Thomas says, oh, Lord, now I believe you. And what did Jesus say? He said, blessed are those who believe and did not see. You need to see that Jesus is the only one that can save you from your eternal sins. If you haven't seen that, then all you have to do is you just, you just say to Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Would you please forgive me of my sins? And he will because of that faith. And by the way, the Bible says he gives you that faith to do that in the first place. And he'll make you a child of God. If you haven't done that, just simply say, God, I, I repent. I give up trying to get myself into heaven. I can't do it. And I'm trusting that your blood paid for my sins when you died on that cross. And through that blood, as Revelation says, I am set free. I am released from the penalty of death. Let's pray. Lord God, we often find ourselves thanking you for Peter's example because we're pretty much prone to doubting and having fear as well. We look at him and say, well, what, what reason did he have? He was right in front of Jesus. Well, he just did the same thing we do. We take our eyes off of Jesus. We start thinking about the pain or the pressure or the heartache or the hardship. And we want to walk away from the ministry and, and fail. But you reach out and you give us another chance. You reach out and you help us. You reach out and you love us. And yes, you may chastise us for our doubt. But we're going to learn through that that we should trust and never doubt. I pray that we would be those who put away doubt and trust you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the power that you put through our faith. Because we know without faith, we can do nothing. But what we can do with faith is still yet to fully be seen. Please work in us, the faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. stand. We're going to close the service out by singing number 404, uh, Solid Rock. So on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's sing the words together.
bow with me as I close our service. Father God, I do praise you and thank you that we do have a solid rock, that we can cast it on what your son did, did for us and does for us daily. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us uh, to be a part of that. We just pray, Father, that uh, this week we would uh, be witnesses for you, that we would find ways to serve you better. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.